Good morning. Thank you for being here. Hey, uh, if you don't know, you've been maybe hiding, but uh, you can tell it's political campaign season, and I know many people measure that in different ways. Some measure it based on the amount of political campaign mail that they get, and, and we all have enough of that. Um, this year, well, I think last election, this became a more prominent thing. The phone calls, the texts that you get from people that say they're your friend or something like that, and they're really just, you know, trying to get a name in there. But we had a new one for our family. About four weeks ago, our seven-year-old, Lincoln, seven years old, is sitting at the dinner table, and suddenly, out of nowhere, here's what comes out of his mouth. John Hickenlooper broke the law. And I went, oh, okay, somebody's had too much screen time. But, uh, you know, that's, that's this ad that comes up. And I just went, it is everywhere. Our seven-year-old can say the word Hickenlooper. I mean, that's an accomplishment. But I say all that to say, uh, before we get started this morning, I would love for us to take a moment to pray, not just for this election, but for our nation, and not just for Tuesday, but for the days and weeks and months and years ahead. Uh, it's been said, and I can't remember who, but it's been said that the deciding vote in any election is cast by the Lord himself. And so it's with that assurance regardless of an outcome on Tuesday or in eight weeks when they finally get the results settled and, and figured out, it's with that assurance we can go before him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you in uh, just such a, to our eyes, this is such a huge, huge moment. And yet we know that as you say in your word, you remind us in Daniel that you are the most high God who is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and you give them to whoever you wish. And so it's with that assurance, knowing your character, knowing your love for us and for our entire, everybody, we ask that you would remind us of that very thing. Remind us that we were created not for a president, but for a king. And so knowing that, we can pray for a president. It's a position that we would pray, would put whoever it is, put them on their knees before you. If you need to use it to get their attention, to get our country's attention on what it is you're up to in this world, then so be it. Lord, we pray that you would soften our hearts to respond to those around us in the middle of all of it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Well, if you've not been here the last few weeks, we have been talking, we're going to move from the presidency to Waldo. We've been talking about Waldo. And the whole thing, if you grew up with Where's Waldo books, you know that Waldo is about a search. And you can spend hours upon hours upon hours searching for Waldo until we decided to try to outsmart ourselves. And there were people who figured out how to make finding Waldo a formula. And so they would apply algorithms and steps, and within a matter of seconds, uh, even using facial recognition software, people have figured out how to find Waldo in less than five seconds. And what we've done, we've been saying this the last few weeks, what we've done with Waldo, we have tried to do with ourselves. Because isn't it true that you and I would far prefer a formula if I could just follow these steps and get to who I actually am and what I was created for faster, then I could be more effective and I could be more efficient with this life. And as the creator of Where's Waldo came out and said, it's a good reminder for us. It was never meant to be a formula. It was always meant to be a search. 
And many of you in here know that that search ends, that search for our identity ends when we meet and when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, another search begins when you get to that place. It's the search for how do I express that identity? And again, we'd love to have a formula for that. But there are some elements as we've looked at the life of Moses the last few weeks and as we've opened the book of Exodus, there are some elements that God will use to form and shape us to show us first who he is and then who we are and how we express that identity in Christ. And so as we looked at the beginning of Moses' life, long before he ever approached Pharaoh and led people through the wilderness, Moses had to spend some time discovering who he's not. And the same is true of you and me. From there, as we talked about last week, Moses ends up in the wilderness. And not just, not just like six months, six months of wilderness, but 40 years of it. 40 years of wilderness. In fact, as I heard from many of you this last week, that's where you're at. As you look around at life, you just sense wilderness everywhere you look. And if that's you, I have really, truly good news for you this morning because there's something you gotta know, and it's this, that God does not waste anything. And God will not waste your wilderness. In fact, he will use the wilderness to bring us to what we're gonna talk about today. We'll be in Exodus chapter three. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. But let me just read to you the beginning of Exodus chapter three. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So from the end of chapter two, we've discovered Moses has become a shepherd. He's tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now, I want to stop here because I've, I've read this account multiple times in my life, but recently something really captured me here. And it was the contrast of a mountain and a bush. There's a mountain and there's a bush. Let me ask you something. If you go out on bowls and you look west right now, what do you notice as you look west? The mountain. Yeah, see, we're drawn to mountaintops, aren't we? I don't know anybody that drives down bowls in the morning and goes, wow, the shrubbery on the mountains is incredible today. <laughs> nobody does that. And if you do, uh, that's weird. Okay, but nobody does that, right? We're drawn to mountaintops. And what's true literally is really true deep down inside of us as well. Because isn't it true you've got some mountaintops that you think if, if that would just happen, then I'd know God is present. If that would just take place, then I'd know God is active in my life, that he's around, that he recognizes me. Now, there could be a ton of mountaintops, but could I, could I highlight maybe three that, that I've observed in my own life and as I listen to people that I've observed in our lives? The first is the mountaintop of the future, right? We, we just think if I could just get there, if God would just work that out, it's not figured out yet, but if God would just make that happen, then I would know that he's real, that he's present, that he actually sees me, that all this stuff that I hear about how he loves me, that he actually loves me. And that's not knocking vision. And that's not knocking looking ahead and looking for and, and hoping in something in the future at all. But sometimes we can get so visionary that we miss the bush right in front of us, the shrub right in front of us. There's another mountaintop we all face. It's the mountaintop of the past. 
It's a contrast to the first mountaintop. Have you paid attention to the phrase that is coming out of our mouths and people's mouths? I just want to get back to normal. Back to normal. And there's this thing that happens in us. We tend to remember the past a lot better or a lot worse than it actually was, don't we? I mean, this is, this is what causes you to say when I was a kid, I walked uphill both, both ways to school, five miles in the snow, there was a hurricane, meteors were hitting, you know, it just, we just exaggerate and exaggerate because we're remembering the past better than maybe it actually was. It's the mountaintop of the past. And then there's the mountaintop that we all face throughout this life. It's the mountaintop of me. It's the mountaintop of my wants, my expectations, my ideals, my outcomes. Because we think if, if God would just do it the way I would do it, and if God would just make it happen according to what I would like to see happen, then I would know. I remember as a kid, my parents, they had this fall activity that was just horrid. It, it, for, for kids everywhere, it's this horrid fall activity. It's called, you ready? Going for a drive. I mean, you want to ruin a kid's weekend faster than anything. Tell your kid you're going for a drive. It's terrible. I remember, I'd say, why are we doing this, mom? This is so pointless. You're wasting gas. You're ruining the environment. I didn't care. I was eight years old, okay? But why are we doing this? And she said, well, because you will, you will see some things about God in his creation. I said, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, mom. When it wasn't because I actually thought that was dumb, it's because I was about to beat Double Dragon on Nintendo, and I really just, that was God for me right there. But isn't it true? If it's not what I want, if it doesn't go according to what I think it should be, then we can suddenly throw our, our arms up and go, God, where are you? Where are you? We are wired to focus on the mountaintop, in the extraordinary. And yet here's Moses on an ordinary day, carrying out an ordinary task that God's activity is not at the extraordinary top of the mountain, but in the bush. Let's read verse two a little further. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And we'll get to the fire in just a minute here. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Now, can we talk about the, the shrub, the bush for a minute? Because see, that's not something I, I'm real wired or prone to notice, am I? And are you? See, you don't tend to notice those things until you've maybe lost hope or lost sight of the other more exciting things going on. And I have to think that 40 years prior to this, Moses may not have noticed a bush that was aflame with God's activity because Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household. And in Pharaoh's household, some mountaintop decisions were made, weren't they? I mean, Pharaoh's in a position of power. He's making decisions that, in, that in fact, affect an entire nation. See, that's what Moses grew up in. But after 40 years in the wilderness, you know what happens? Moses' vantage point and his view and his vision moves from up here, mountaintop-oriented, down here. Because some things haven't worked out. And there's been some waiting and there's been some wondering and there's been some hoping, but I don't know if it's going to happen. And Moses's sight has begun to go to the ground. And perhaps, perhaps that's what God wants to do with the wilderness. 
Maybe he's shifting Moses' attention and our attention to something we couldn't possibly have seen before we ever went through a, a wilderness. Maybe God is moving Moses from farsighted to nearsighted. See, we spend a lot of time looking for God in mountaintops when he's right there in the shrubs. We want the mountaintop experience, the inspiration, the emotional high, the feeling, everything to work out. But maybe he's right there in the shrub. But see, we naturally, we look to the mountaintop. I don't know how many of you in here watch NFL football, but last Sunday, something very interesting happened in the NFL. And this is not to tune you out if you're not into football or sports, but something that tells us about us happened last week. The Atlanta Falcons were playing the Detroit Lions. It was the end of the game. And everybody, if you follow football, you know that, that if you're down by a couple points as the, as the Atlanta Falcons were last week, your goal is to get down the field, okay? You don't even have to score a touchdown. Just get in position to where you make it as easy as possible for the field goal kicker to make a field goal as time expires. But the name of the game at the end of the game is just use the clock. Don't leave the other team any time to score. Let me show you what happened last week, and then we'll talk. Hey, don't score. Yeah, I would Don't score. Down. Don't score. Get the first, get the first, get down. The give is to Gurley. Gurley through the middle. They're going to let him score, and he went in. That's a big mistake by Todd Gurley. Lions are going to get it back. What a mental mistake by Todd Gurley. Now, a lot of angry fantasy owners last week, uh, a lot of really happy ones. Here's what happened. When he scored, the Falcons took the lead, but you know what happened? They left too much time on the clock, and Detroit had enough time to drive down the field and score, and Detroit ended up winning the game because they had left too much time. Now, here's where I had a real soft spot for this running back. His whole life, like you and me, he's been handed a ball and said, go for glory. The end zone is your target. It is not natural for a running back or a football player to get the ball and go down. The very thing he needed to do, because that's so ordinary, isn't it? No, he's wired for extraordinary. And in this case, it cost his team. And it's the same thing you and I face. We're wired to look at the mountaintop and find the glory. And that must be where God is at. Anything short of that is just... It's ordinary. And so this brought up a couple questions for me before we get back to the passage. Number one, what are the mountaintops that I'm looking at? I mean, what are those mountaintops that maybe throughout our lives or maybe currently we think God's not in it if that doesn't work out? I need to see God work that out for me to know that he's present with me because we spend a lot of time looking for that to happen. But the second question is really a contrast to that question. What are the shrubs what are the bushes, the ordinary things that maybe I haven't seen? Because I've been looking at the mountaintop. And the reason I ask you that is because of what happens next. Look at verse 3 of chapter 3. I'm sorry, we're back to verse 2 for a moment. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. See, sometimes... Sometimes the mountaintop is the evidence of God's presence and his activity. But you know what oftentimes I believe it is? The more life I live, it's in these ordinary moments 
where he says, you see that shrub? It is aflame with my activity. Now, if you know anything about fire in scripture, I mean, it represents some things. You can, you can see some things tied to it throughout scripture. Fire can be tied to the very presence of God. Fire can be tied to refining and purifying. And fire can also be associated with judgment. And I thought, how, how interesting. What is Moses noticing here? He's noticing a bush that should be absolutely destroyed and consumed by fire. And it's not. And this is a pivotal moment for Moses. And I believe when we get hold of this, it's a pivotal moment for us. That perhaps the very activity and presence of God is not at the extraordinary mountaintop, but in the ordinary that is not consumed, though it should be. When we look around at the very ordinary elements of life and we think, gosh, that, that should be destroyed. That should be a wreckage. And yet somehow God is sustaining it. And it might be hanging by a thread. It may not be perfect. It may not be working out. But there it is. There's evidence of God doing something. Well, it goes on. This gets a little bit more personal for Moses. Verse 3. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? And the answer for why it doesn't burn up is because this is a different kind of flame. So you and I have heard, we, we've been born into a fallen world. I mean, you look around and you just think, this whole world should be aflame in the judgment, the wrath of God. As you look at how holy he is and how fallen this world is, how are we even here? And yet, the evidence of God is that though it should be consumed by fire, it is sustained. And for Moses, it was a burning bush. You know what it is for you and I? It's this thing we come back to each week right there, the cross. It is at the cross that though we deserve to be there, though we should be consumed, God sustains. God is faithful to sustain. And while we're looking for his presence in the mountaintops, maybe, maybe in the ordinary among us, he's saying, but I'm, I'm sustaining. And we've been talking about 2020. You know, you look around, you think, how is, how is it not that every, how is it everything just not totally destroyed right now? And yet God is sustaining and it doesn't look all that victorious and it doesn't look very mountaintoppy, but there he is. He's just sustaining. I think through the journey of this church and I look back and I go, wow, how are we still here? Because he's been sustaining. But let me get a little more personal because I believe the reason Moses noticed the bush is because Moses was noticing his own life. Perhaps Moses looked at this burning bush and realized this was God's, this is a picture of God's mercy in his own life. And again, for him, it's a burning bush. For you and I, that picture is found right there at the cross. And God seeing Moses finally notice, maybe it took 40 years to notice this ordinary shrub, God responds when Moses responds. Verse four, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Here I am. 
Maybe this was the first time Moses hadn't said, there is where I need to be. And instead he just said, here I am. Maybe this is the first time that you've come to the cross and said, here I am. And when you do that, as James, as God is faithful to remind us through James, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. It was in the place that Moses said, here I am. He heard God. God has moved Moses from farsighted to nearsighted to right here sighted. What is he up to right now? In other words, you want to hear God? Start with, I'm here, God. Right here. Even though I may not be able to see you right here, I'm here, God. I remember when I was younger, we would spend, uh, we'd have these um, conversations with my great-grandmother. She lived in England. We'd have these conversations with her, sometimes by phone, but oftentimes we would use a tape recorder. Yes, I said tape, like cassettes. And some of you, I'm going to have to tell you what that is later or, or show you a picture of it. But we would have these conversations with her because she had gotten to the point where she couldn't even hold up the phone. And this is especially true later in her life. She ended up dying a, just a couple weeks short of turning 107 years old over in England. And as incredible as that is, the thing that just always has struck me is that she went completely and totally blind at age 65. So for almost 42 years of her life, she could not see at all. And there was an incredible dependence within her on these cassette tapes arriving in the mail because it was in the cassette tape in the tape recorder moment. I mean, I'm over here in the U.S. going, this is so lame. Like, people use CDs now, and CDs are going to be timeless. They're never going to go away. They're always going to be the best method of communication. And she's using cassette tapes. And yet I remember not long before she died, one of those recordings said, I treasure when these cassette tapes show up. Because this is where you get to hear my voice, and I get to hear yours. And when I heard that, it suddenly went, huh. The cassette tape is where her voice is found. It's no mountaintop. It's a cassette tape. It is no mountaintop. But it's the place where I get to hear her. And honestly, it's in that ordinary place You know, you've maybe heard the cross your entire life. You've known about the cross and what Jesus did there your entire life. And it can start to look very ordinary. And yet it is the place that is aflame with the activity of God. And as we begin to look around at everything around us, even when it's not extraordinary, even when it doesn't appear to be uh, working out, it is aflame with the activity and life of the gospel what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross. And so, whether life is a wilderness or it's working out, can we say, I'm here, God? Whether we shut down again or we can stay open, it's about saying, I'm here, God. Whether it's President Trump or President Biden or maybe President you, where you could write your own name in, see how it works out. But it's saying, I'm here, God. This is why I love communion so much. Because throughout the year, the highs and the lows and the mountaintops and the ordinary shrub moments, communion brings us back to saying, I'm here, God. I'm recognizing your activity right here. 
God. And so as the worship team comes back up, we will continue. There are a couple weeks left in this. But would you consider, what are the burning bushes? As you look around right now, where are those burning bushes? A flame with the presence of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, as we prayed earlier, we come before you during a time that honestly feels very mountaintop right now. I mean, there are just some big, big events in the coming days. And yet let us never lose sight that you're a God who goes even beyond that. I mean, many people show up for the extraordinary, but you, you are there in the midst of the ordinary. And where we've not noticed, we have only to look around and see everything aflame with your activity and your presence. And so let us see. Let us see the good news of your gospel in everything around us. Let us see you in the places that look so ordinary to us. And Lord, draw us to you constantly. Remind us that we have only to respond and say, I'm here. I'm here, God. And give us the assurance you will call out to us as you did to Moses. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.